But we want to talk about attacks of another kind off the top of the show. You've been listening to The Mike Smith Show. Uh, we heard Sergeant Steve Addison of the VPD talking about the spike in stranger or unprovoked violent attacks. Here is the sergeant on the violence over this past weekend. Yeah, it was a particularly busy weekend, and we knew it was going to be simply because of the easing COVID restrictions, so um, fewer limits on capacities at bars and the restaurants. And we saw um, just a flood of people come into town, particularly in the entertainment districts. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that um, haven't been out for a while, um, have a lot of uh, um, uh, pent-up uh, fun um, in them that they want to get out. There's a lot of people in there who actually haven't had an opportunity to even um, uh, come out and party at all during the COVID area simply because of um, their age. A lot of people have kind of come of age during uh, during the pandemic. So we yeah. saw just a ton of people out on the street. And as a result of that, anytime we get that many people out, um, when the liquor starts flowing and the aggression starts coming out and people after they've had a few drinks, uh, we, we see an uptick in, uh, in violence. So, Fix the assaults over the weekend. We're looking at a, roughly a third of those as being committed by um, uh, suspects who weren't known to the victims, and we're we're investing investigating those as possible stranger assaults. Sixty assaults over the weekend—that seems like a very high number for Vancouver. But as the sergeant mentioned, a lot of pent up sort of angst coming out or maybe a little overindulgent. So that bodes the question, which Mike asked: Is this just drunk people duking it out on Granville Street? You know, we we have pretty okay. specific metrics that we use when we're talking about stranger assaults. So the metrics include you know, the suspect and the victim don't know each other. Um, the inner, initial interaction is less than 15 seconds. And we try oh. to cancel out when we're talking about stranger assaults. Anything that involves, you know, like a couple of drunks who are duking it out in the bar, as you say. Um, however, anytime we have that many people out in a small area competing for a limited amount of real estate, uh, people are bumping into each other. There's, like I say, aggression that comes out in people when they've been drinking. Uh, we, we're bound to see an uptick in incidents, an uptick in violence. And that's what we saw over the past weekend. Uh, 60 assaults is far greater than we, than we would see in a normal three-day span. And to have 22 of those um, committed by uh, people who didn't know each other, that seemed, seemed to be, on the surface at least, um, fairly uh, random, right. is definitely concerning for us. Very concerning, obviously. Star- Sergeant Steve Addison was speaking with Mike Smith earlier on the program today, and we, we thought it warranted unpacking again, because at this point, it's like, okay, so is this a sign of stranger assaults on the rise here in Vancouver? Sergeant. Yeah, so we always caution against relying too heavily on crime statistics alone. We know that they only tell part of the story. Um, on a typical day, we see about 10 or 12 assaults in a day. To have 60 over a three-day period is really uh, significant. We're going to have to wait okay. and see if, the, see if this was just a blip or if it's more of a trend that we're going to have to address. Okay, so as a woman, a born and raised Vancouverite, I find myself feeling rather unsafe on city streets, and I've never felt that way before. These types of stories, and I'm not trying to fearmonger here, I'm telling personal experience, talking to my fellow citizens, uh, mostly women are feeling uncomfortable, and, and some of us who are parents of, of teens, not really wanting the free-ranging teen who looks like a young adult uh, out, even even at sunset. And the sunset's early. This is really difficult to process. But we wanted to do that with someone who certainly is uh, well-versed in law enforcement. And you know his name, Cash Heed, former West Vancouver Police Chief, is with us on the line. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Jody. So how do you consume what you see happening on Vancouver streets when we're talking about what is almost a double 
the number of stranger attacks in the city than what we would typically see, statistically speaking, as Sergeant Addison referenced there? Well, this is my concern. I believe uh, the Vancouver police are marketing fear right now, and they're really playing with the metrics. And I think we need to delve more into uh, the analysis of that data because there's a lot of surface stuff that's given out. If you look at the 60 assaults that occurred over the past four days, they only actually gave you uh, six descriptions and there were 54 that they did not describe. So when you start marketing that fear, uh, it's very, very concerning. For example, Jody, the end of last year, we had the same uh, exposure, the public had the exposure from the public information office of the Vancouver Police. And in fact, when you look at Q4 of 2021, assaults were up less than 2%. But Jody, like you say, it's, it's that fear of crime as a result of the information they're giving out. So when you actually do, and Mike challenged uh, the sergeant on a few, when you give out those metrics, you've got to be very clear because you don't need to fear monger out there right now. Right. This is part of the problem I'm starting to see from the Vancouver Police Department. When, in fact, they go in front of council and they say crimes are down in all categories, we know there's a significant amount of crime that goes unreported. But that has been considered since we've been gathering statistics. So right. instead of the police, this is the, the process I'd like to see them involved in, is getting out and talking about how they're going to prevent these stranger assaults because they're not what we previously classified as stranger assaults. Yeah, we never really thought about getting mugged in Vancouver. That was something that happened in big U.S. cities or in major cities uh, on the other side of the country. It was not a Vancouver regular occurrence, even in, as you mentioned, some things are unreported. Certainly getting your car tossed happens very regularly in Vancouver and is a reportable offense, by the way, in a non-emergency line, just so police can track those instances. But it is a fine balance here to warn public about stranger attacks at, at the same time, not putting people in a state of panic over moving freely around the city that has historically been very safe. But we get that public information out there, but we don't talk about how we, you can prevent yourself be, from becoming a victim in this. You know, we allude to the fact that, you know, a lot of this is alcohol fueled between two people that may have bumped into one another, their bravado attitude. And we start to call that stranger assaults. Well, when I spent my 32 years in policing, Jody, and, and you're very familiar uh, with what goes on in policing. When we talk about stranger assaults, women are automatically fearful of that because they think a person's going to come out of the woodwork and assault them. When, in fact, a stranger assault be could be two drunk people, like Mike described, bumping yeah. into one another in the entertainment zone and the fight's on. 100%. Having been a longtime waitress in downtown bars, I've seen that happen and, and almost incidentally, accidentally, like what the sergeant was saying there, it could be a 12-second exchange before things go sideways. Cash, thank you for taking some time out for us today. It's important that we, uh, that we do process and have due process when it comes to what the statistics are, what we hear happening, what the headlines are, and what is actually happening in law enforcement. I guess the good news here, if we can cap it off on a high note, is that the VPD is saying that they've made significant progress with investigations into a large number of these unprovoked stranger attacks. Absolutely. And the, we know there's tension between the chief and the mayor, and we've just got to make sure that we take the high road, policing takes the high road, and protects the citizens and the people that come into Vancouver. 
Thank you for your time. We're going to get into the politics behind this as well in the next half hour. Cash Heed, we really appreciate your perspective here. Always, always appreciate your time. Thank you. Jody Vance in for Jill. And as mentioned prior to the break, time to bring in sort of a family affair here. Sergeant Cindy Vance. Yes, we are related. She is my cousin. And I'm very proud of her because what she has been doing, not only as a member of the VPD, but also the workshops that Cindy has been a big part of. These free workshops since 2012, the Women's Personal Safety Team. And when we started talking about the subject matter of stranger attacks and, and just random attacks in the city of Vancouver, I thought of Cindy right away. If Perhaps we could garner a few tips. And I managed to track her down today, a very busy uh, member of the recruitment team, actually, for VPD. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Jody. Thank you for calling. So tell me, uh, first and foremost, what should we do or not do if somebody comes at us unexpectedly? Well, I think the biggest thing um, and what we try to do on the team is is develop a sense of a situational awareness. So the biggest thing is for us to hopefully not be surprised by somebody coming along, but that doesn't mean that that's not necessarily going to happen. So the the piece that we like to talk about is, is preparation, planning, and situ- situational awareness so that you're always as much as possible aware of your surroundings Um, and knowing when something isn't quite right or something is just a little bit off and listening to that gut that you have and that we all have in in our instincts. Um, And and so when and if something like this was to happen, we have some sort of piece of preparation to in order to recognize, first of all, what is happening. Because I think, unfortunately, for most people, it comes as a surprise, and it's a lot of the first instinct is what is happening, and we get into what we call a little, little bit of a loop where we're trying to figure out in our head what is happening and why is it happening. Um, And that takes up a lot of time. So the biggest thing is, first of all, that preparation and being aware and and hopefully not being surprised. But, of course, that's not always possible. So when we are surprised by something, the biggest thing is mindset, is once you recognize this is happening, giving yourself permission and knowing that you have the ability and can fight back. And we what we do is we talk... Yeah. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So no, what sorry. you do? We, we, we talk about attacking the attacker. So in we get past the prevention side of things, and we're finding ourselves in that situation. And what we deal with in our workshops is is, is major uh, attack. So something where your 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 personal body, you're you're personally in in great danger. You have the right. I think that's the biggest piece is you have the right to protect yourself. Give yourself permission to fight back and. By we teach prevention, not self-defense, because self-defense is sort of about warding it off and trying to just block and stop. Whereas what we teach actually goes beyond that, and it goes into attacking the attacker because that's not what someone like that is expecting. It's almost yeah. like you're taking somebody like a lion in in the in the wild, and they're trying to pick a target that they're going to be able to attack with the least amount of harm to themselves, and not expecting to get any fight back. Whereas we're teaching, you have the right, and we'll get, we're going to give you the skills to actually attack back and de, de, demobilize and, and deconstruct the attacker so that they're now worried more about themselves than you, and then, you, then it's safe for you to get away and call for help. And these are some big pieces of the puzzle, and you need to be able to do things at full speed because it is innate in most of us to not hurt others. And exactly. when you, you know, most of us know, okay, well, if you're if a woman's being attacked by a man, there are certain strategic areas that you would then try and hit. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, and you nailed it, Jody. 
um, it's there's three there's three areas. So when we teach our, our workshops and what we'd like to get out, and even if you don't come to our workshop, if you get nothing else from this, even this chat, is vision, wind, and limbs. So we those are the three target areas that we teach because in order for someone to continue to attack you, you they need to be able to see, they need to be able to breathe, and they need to be able to have the physical functions to be able to continue to attack you. And if you're actually doing self-protection and you're attacking those three zones in any way possible, and you don't need to have, that's the key for, our, for what we teach, is you don't need to be a martial artist. You do not have to have extensive training. The skills we teach, and everyone can, ha- can obtain these skills, they're very simple and very basic, but the key is no matter what it looks like, is you attack those zones. So whether it's driving your, your thumb into their eye, and I know these things, and it always gets people to cringe because we don't want to hurt people, but you have the right they chose you to attack you, therefore you have the right to do what you need to do to protect yourself in those circumstances. Obviously going within reasonable limits to what the attack yeah. itself is, um, but yeah. those are the three, the, the three t- target zones. If, you, if a person's hand is broken, they can't grab you. If they can't breathe, they're focused on their own survival. You know when you get something in your eye and, and all you can think about is a little fleck of something and all you can think yeah. about is getting it out? Yeah, they need to see. That's a that innate uh, form of being a human. Is you have to have those things, so you get the focus back on themselves to survive, and then you get you take that opportunity to get away and call for help. So I've only got thirty seconds left here, Cindy. Okay. We could do a full hour on this. I How know. do people find out more about the Women's Personal Safety Team? Yes, please go to uh, vpd.ca, our general VPD website, um, and you will see uh, our logo. It's a circular logo. It's WPST. VPD, WPST. We're on Instagram as well. Um, and while you're on that site, feel free to look up our recruiting section because we're, we're hiring and we're always looking for good applicants. So feel free to come our way and look into what we're offering as a career as well. <laughs> awesome. You got to get that plug in there because you are on the recruitment team. Uh, VPD Sergeant Cindy Vance. Yes, my cousin Cindy. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, cuz. Jody Vanson for Jill this week. We're continuing on the topic that uh, we've been touching on all morning long, actually. Rather stark, the uh, news that over the long weekend, there were 60 assaults, 60 in Vancouver. Uh, typically not 60 assaults uh, in Vancouver over the family day long weekend. The Vancouver Police Department actually tweeted out that, quote, the VPD has made significant progress with investigations into the large number of unprovoked stranger attacks. Still, violence remains a problem. VPD investigating 60 assaults over the family day long weekend with 22 being investigated as possible stranger assaults. These are things we're getting more and more used to hearing. It's just it's as a born and raised Vancouverite, I don't know about you, but I find it just so, so odd. Perhaps it's naive and the whole world is growing up that way, but it feels like crime is on the rise in our city. We've been talking with Cash Heed about that, 35 years in policing. He gave us his perspective. Got to be careful when you're throwing down the stats. You got to make sure you back it up with the policing strategy to ensure uh, safe citizens. We were speaking with Sergeant Cindy Vance about the women's personal safety team and some keys to protecting oneself if you find yourself on the receiving end of an attack. But what about our politicians? What's being done in City Hall? It feels awfully quiet. 
in the city of Vancouver. We reached out to Mayor Kennedy Stewart and asked if he would join us on the program today. Didn't even get a response from the comms team, which was a little bit unusual, as obviously this is a subject that must be hitting his desk as the mayor, we would think. Certainly lots of action on social media with regard to this. And one person who stepped up to the table and said, I'm in, I'll talk about it, is NPA candidate for mayor of Vancouver, John Cooper, good friend of the program. John, thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Judy. So let's start with what you think needs to happen right now. What would you do if you were in the office of mayor and seeing what was happening on the streets of Vancouver? Well, certainly I wouldn't be hiding in City Hall and telling people the city is safe because uh, I, like you, have lived almost all of my life in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, you can feel it. You, and I get so many calls. You know, there's there's folks that are out there. John Clarity's a business owner down on Davie Street. He's been documenting some of the broken windows and some of the crime that's happening. And it's really chilling to see what is happening to our, our city, a city that we should be so proud of and so um, feeling, you know, you know, safe. And 60 assaults over a weekend, that is unprecedented and, and unheard of. And, uh, you know, I think the mayor needs to step up and, and stand with the, with the chief and show support for the VPD. For the three years that he's been mayor, he's done nothing but throw them under the bus at every opportunity. And that doesn't help morale and it doesn't help, uh, it doesn't help the team to feel supported. So taking meaningful action, you mentioned the broken window issue, the graffiti problems we've talked about. George Affleck and I talk about it all the time on our podcast. Uh, we, you know, he as a former city councillor, actually George will be filling in for Jazz Joe Hall this afternoon. I'm sure he'll chime in on all of what we are discussing here as it is such a hot topic. But when it comes to public safety and the citizens and the taxpayers of Vancouver who are looking to their leader, to, to their elected official to say, do something Something must be done here. At least communicate with us and tell us what is being done behind the scenes. We have to believe that something is being done, do we not? Well, we would hope so. But, I mean, we've seen a download of, 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 you know, money being spent, almost a quarter of a billion dollars a year outside of the mandate of the city. And to me, public safety is an absolute core mandate. Uh, This mayor froze the police budget the previous year. This year, he seemed to reluctantly support it. But more than that, I think it really it needs to be across the city. We need to look at lighting. We need to look at lighting downtown. We need to look at making sure these windows get fixed. We need to know we've got to have patrols on the street. And we've got to engage the business community. And this is what um, uh, Melissa DiGenova was, was trying to do with a motion that got just slowed down terrifically, was wanted to have a roundtable, wanted to get business owners included in the conversation. And how can we work together to to make sure that we're doing everything in our power to to have our streets uh, safe. And, you know, the other thing is we, we, we moved a lot of folks from, um, you know, the encampments at Strathcona Park and to the tune of almost 500,000 per person housed, but we put them in the middle of downtown with virtually no supports. Um, we, we opened an a overdose prevention site right across from um, Emory Barnes Park, which has been a hub of, uh, of activity that, that's not good, violence and, and all kinds of things. So, you know, there's, a, there's an effect when you make decisions like this at council. You really have to think, what are the unintended consequences? And that's what I think we're missing from this group. They're just, they seem to be on autopilot. I don't know. It's one of those things when you bring up the overdose prevention um, 
space, that the new one, and and it, perhaps there's a way to support the people who are most vulnerable in our society in a better way. I often speak with the champions on the downtown east side, the Mark Brands of the world, who say it costs more to keep people living in poverty than it would to actually care for them, house them, and 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 keep them alive in what is this opioid crisis, which is a much bigger picture and problem and discussion, I believe. But when it comes to the stranger attacks, this seems different. And it's not just a downtown problem. This is sort of peppered all over. We're seeing we're seeing sort of a lawlessness. Does does this broken window issue, in your opinion, John, I should mention we're John Cooper, uh, NPA candidate for mayor of Vancouver and longtime park board uh, veteran. It's not like you don't know how a city works. Are we looking at the result of allowing for the broken windows and the graffiti and the small crimes going sort of underreported or underattended so that people feel they could be more lawless? It feels it does it does feel like that. And I think that um people need to feel safe and, and um you need to have a have an approach. And I think one of the big problems is we're not treating the the problem which is Folks need treatment. These people are in terrible distress on the street. Yeah. Some are having psychotic episodes. You know, I, I I see it myself, and I feel terrible to see people in such condition and to think all the best we can do is put them in a room and say, you're on your own. I mean, yeah. 500000 to house somebody, that buys a lot of treatment. And I think the path for people to have success is to, to you know, get off. The, the, this merry-go-round and get get treatment and, and start to feel better and 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 be productive members of society and it, it's going to take a lot of work by a lot of people but right now we just can't have a mayor who's walking around saying oh yeah the city's safe don't worry about the statistics well I can tell you all you have to do is walk downtown and look at what you see and 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 I tell you I you know I got my head on a swivel when I'm walking around downtown and I'm not a little guy. So I, I can just well imagine how unsafe a lot of people are feeling. So we need the mayor to step up. We need a council. I think I think we need a mayor who you know understands this and is supportive of the great work of the EPD. They have a great team, and they we ask them to do a lot. Their percentage of their budget has been twenty percent of the budget for the for forever. And I can tell you, man, they got a lot more to do. Indeed, it is a time to pull together and make this city um, safe for everybody, including our most vulnerable. I certainly wouldn't say that it's all uh, those who are living in poverty, poverty who are at the helm of these attacks. But there's desperation in our community because we are missing the boat on some of the most important pieces of society's puzzle. I will tell you, John, while we were speaking, I just got a note from Ben Dooley, my producer. He said, I just heard from the mayor's office. Uh, the quote is, he's tied up with personal matters today. So we did hear back from the mayor. I thank you for your time today, John, as always. Whenever we reach out, you say, I'm there, what time? And uh, we appreciate your perspective as always. Thank you very much. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. Time to bring in a CKNW alumni. <laughs> Good friend of the program. Longtime listener, first time caller. No, Amir Ali is a staff writer with Daily Hive. You knew he was a huge part of what was the afternoon show, the Linda Steele show. And, and Amir, it's good to chat with you. Good to chat with you too, Jody. And you know, listening to your chat with John Cooper revealed to me that there are so many problems facing the city and potentially being underwater is just one of them. 
You took the words right out of my mouth, my friend. Again, we're on the same page. I was scrolling through my daily hive. I've got the newsletter. I always get the updates. Boom. And Amir Ali floats in at 1035 this morning. The headline, Under the Sea, Vancouver predicted to be one of the first cities underwater. Walk us through this. So the science behind this isn't necessarily new. I don't know if you recall, there were some stories that were sort of like this last year. Uh, but what is new in this study is that Vancouver is supposedly going to be one of the first cities to be underwater. Um, so the, the reason behind this is global temperatures are rising. And if they continue rising at the rate they are currently, this predicts that within the next 80 years, there are many parts of the city that could be underwater, uh, including the Steveson Harbor, Granville Island, and even Vancouver Airport. Wow. Yeah, when we start thinking about the the lay of the land, I mean, we know Richmond is surrounded by dikes. It is a delta. We know where the low-lying places and spaces are, things that have been built up around our city. And wanting to shore up, literally shore up, what the king tide has been tearing down. Because when you look at what a king tide is, it is certainly not an everyday event now, but it is telling us what things will be like in the future. That will one day be the regular tide. Yeah, and and I I think what I see when we talk about stories like this in the media is, you know, the timeline on this one specifically is obviously within the next 80 years. And I think there's there's a tendency to kind of push those issues to the side because the timeline is so far forward. But 80 years isn't really that long of a time. No, that's a lifetime. Uh, but not and a lifetime is too short, is what most would say. Let's talk about this study and how it highlights uh, major landmarks from all, all over the globe, really, for that 80-year marker. What is it? Like hundreds of millions of people could be displaced here. Yeah, 226 million people. Uh, and again, that's just in these 36 cities. And they sort of highlighted these sort of major population centers. Uh, topping the list was Tokyo, you know, a very coastal community there. Um, and even though this, this study is looking at the future, we kind of got a taste of what this could be like last year. Obviously, I'm sure that is still re- really easily accessible in a lot of our memories is the BC floods in the Fraser Valley last year. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not a scientist, obviously, but I think we're going to see events like that more common in, in the near future, not just within the next 80 years. We're with Amir Ali. He is a staff writer with the Daily Hive. If his name sounds familiar, yes, he is that Amir Ali who has worked with us at CKNW for years. We miss you. And but we love reading you. And we, you know, I know you to be somebody who is very much engaged on climate change. Like you say, you're not a scientist, but you make sure that you are informed on this subject. You care for the environment in a way that that you walk the walk. I mean, let's be clear. When you speak about being a vegan, you point to your reasons for being a vegan and they're very much rooted in the ethics of, and, and you don't, you don't pretend to push that on other people, but you do inform others uh, with regard to what walking the walk looks like. I'm I'm, kind of saying this backwards. I just really have great respect for the fact that you don't just report on this. You live to try and fix it. It's a good point you bring up too. Um, Another article you can find on dailyhive.com is one I wrote about last week. And again, it it still connects to the BC floods in the Fraser Valley. Uh, Environment Canada scientists have basically come to the conclusion that 
human-induced climate change played a substantial role in those BC floods. And you talking about, you know, sort of the actions that I'm taking, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, that might be what it comes down to is people, you know, making better choices uh, about how they live their lives as individuals, you know, because it, it, it sort of seems clear to me that the people in charge aren't doing enough to address these issues in a meaningful way. Yeah, because 40, 50 years ago, there were discussions about how the climate was evolving and how humans were impacting that. And there was a lot sort of said and done from a scientific perspective, but it doesn't align with politics and money and what have you. And and sometimes a carbon tax sounds like a great idea, but if it doesn't actually yeah. go to pushing back what happened with the heat dome with the atmospheric rivers, if we don't have a way of putting meaningful change down, it's a it's a tough one to sell. And, and I know that there are people right now screaming at the radio going, if we can't, we can't change it here in Canada because China. And it's like, well, I know, you know, I know. start somewhere. And, and just quickly, again, I hate to keep harping on the BC floods, but people were raising the alarm bells about that for years before it happened. And again, it, we only took action after it happened. So that needs to change. Dailyhive.com is where you can read all about uh, what we're talking about here with Amir Ali. It is a fascinating study, and it talks more about other cities around the world as well, but how Vancouver is predicted to be one of the first cities underwater within eight decades. Not an insignificant piece of information to throw down. Certainly worth a read. Amir, as always, great to connect with you. We're overdue for coffee. Great chat with you, Jody. Yeah, definitely. I'm Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. Doesn't that music just grab you? The stresses of everyday life can often be fixed by escaping into a world of music and none better for that than classical. And our next guest is a world wonder. Andre Ryu is with us on the line. And Andre, for those unfamiliar with your work, can you tell us a little about yourself? Oh, uh, about myself. So um, they call me the king of the walls. And I had an interview last week and I said, it, it, is that the title you gave yourself? Of course not. I didn't give that title myself. The media gave it to me. But you can have a worse title as that. I can True. live with it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now, you were very much born into a musical family. You were playing violin at age five. Who plays violin at age five, Andre? Oh, I think a lot of kids, but it's um, who is going to survive the, <laughs> the teacher. <laughs> I had the luck that my first teacher was an 18-year-old blonde girl, and I was immediately in love with her. <laughs> so oh, and I, I, I worked for her, and that was, you know, after three weeks, she played for me, and she had this beautiful vibrato. And I wanted to have that vibrato, that beautiful tone. And I managed to have it after three weeks. I could do it. And I was so excited. Wow, that's something. Because I can tell you right now, I was one of those little kids who tried to play violin and failed miserably. It is an art. It <laughs> is special. And it brings us to tears for those of us who love to listen to classical music. And I think, Andre, particularly now, the stresses of the world, there's so much noise to be heard. Um, to just allow yourself to consume classical music, to allow yourself to take in that orchestral and, and really acknowledge and identify the talent that you and all in your orchestra bring to the room. It's really quite moving to experience for those who have never uh, enjoyed it before. It's very interesting that you say that because 
You know why we travel the world together? Because the joy we have making music together, we want to we want to share that with the audience. We want to have this interaction with the audience. You know, we don't travel the world to show, ah, look how good we are. Of course we are good, we are the best, but <laughs> that's not why we travel the world. We we want this 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 beautiful interaction with the audience. I'm one of those people, uh, Andre, who, when I attend uh, a live orchestral performance, I, I weep. It wells me up. I, it's it's a little bit almost embarrassing how it's it's just so beautiful. I guess that's one of the reasons why you have, you know, what, over a billion hits on your YouTube channel. You're a Facebook sensation. Like, social media has very much allowed more people to come to your party, your your King of the Waltz party. What what can people expect on Saturday, March 26th at the Pacific Coliseum when they come to see you perform, you with your team? I'm not going to tell you. That's a surprise. Oh. <laughs> no, you know... <laughs> I love talking you know, to you. <laughs> what is so beautiful? Norm, no, normally, when you go to a concert, you look who is the conductor, who is the orchestra, who is the soloist, what are they going to play? Do I want to go there? In my case, they don't know. They don't know at all what we are going to play, but they know Andre is coming with his orchestra, and we will have an evening we will never forget, and we go home with a smile on our face. I love this because some of your stats, I'm just going to rattle off some Andre Ryu stats. King of the Waltz, we've already established that. You've sold over 40 million CDs and DVDs, more than 500 platinum and 270 gold awards. You're the highest grossing classical artist in Billboard uh, box score history. Classical act with the uh, highest attendance worldwide. What's it like to perform in front of a massive crowd when you are one individual with great talent, but also bringing together the collective of a classical orchestra. That's why we play in such places, you know, because we want to bring the classical music back to the masses. And, and that's why we play in arenas where they play baseball or, or you know, we, we don't play in the so-called classical halls. First of all, they are too small because they're, my my audience. I need bigger halls to for my audience. So um, it, I, I I love these places. And you know the people after two minutes they forget that they are sitting in a baseball hall because yeah. they they I grab them with my violin and I make them laugh. I make them dance. I make them cry. And and that that's that's what I love. Again, I'm going to remind our listeners. Saturday, March 26 is when this unbelievable performer will be at the Pacific Coliseum, March 26th. So we're all getting back to, you know, gathering in large spaces and, and, and being a collective once again. What an awesome opportunity to experience Andre Ryu. And they say, Andre, that you are not just for an evening, but for life. Can you explain that? How do you mean? What? I didn't understand. Some, they, they say you're not just That's for an evening. You are for life. Is it? Does it change one when they see yeah, you perform? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think so. I hear a lot of people say, I didn't know you, but since I went to one concert, I will come to all your concerts. So perhaps that's the meaning I am for life. 
It is amazing. I'm looking forward. I will be there and I'm bringing a box of Kleenex because I cry uncontrollably with joy when I see beautiful music performed right before me. Uh, Classical music is something we should all consider embracing. If you've never been, please do consider going because it is something very special. And Andre, I know we're connecting across the pond. You're in Europe right now and we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us ahead of your show here in Vancouver. It was a great pleasure to be with you. And I hope to see you after the concert backstage. Oh, okay. I'm calling you on that. (laughs) You can expect me. Thank you for that. You be safe. We'll look forward to seeing you. Okay. See you then. Thank you. Looking forward. Jody Vanson for Jill this week. Want to talk about Pink Shirt Day. You might have been hearing the ads and the promos. We're talking about it. Do you know the origins? Most do. Some don't, though. So just a little refresher here. It was back in 2007 where two Nova Scotia students decided to take action after they saw a younger student in their school being bullied for wearing a pink shirt to school. The students bought 50 pink shirts and encouraged all of their schoolmates to wear them and send that powerful message of solidarity to the bully. Now, CKW Kids Fund was inspired by that story and to date have raised, are you ready for this? $2.65 million for bullying prevention and self-esteem building programs here in BC through the sales of Pink Shirt Day t-shirts and through donations. And the t-shirts can be purchased at London Drugs. Highly recommend that you pick one up. The Lift Each Other Up t-shirts are just so cool. They're like a collector's item and you know you're giving back and, and doing a, a good thing for your community when, when you do invest in one of these. So since 2008, the CKNW Kids Fund has presented Pink Shirt Day on the last Wednesday in February each year. And we encourage all British Columbians to help put an end to bullying and by spreading kindness. It's just a mindful day. And boy, do we need that right now. Not just here, but abroad as well. 100%, 100% of net proceeds from this campaign are granted to organizations like the one we're going to speak to next. In fact, in 2021 alone, Pink Shirt Day uh, funded programs impacting over 50,000 kids and youth in BC, including Leave Out Violence Society of BC or Love BC, their recipient organization of the 2021 Pink Shirt Day grant, and the executive director of Leave Out or Love BC, Lambrini Solis joins me on the line. Thank you for doing this, Lambrini. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. This is great. It's so great to talk with you because we talk a lot about Pink Shirt Day, and yet here you are at the other end of this fundraising project by CKNW Kids Fund in partnership with London Drugs. Tell us about getting the grant. What did you do to get it, and what exactly does Love do? Yeah, so I'll start with a little bit about what Love does. Love uh, works to engage youth, build bridges, and realize potential. We work with youth who are experiencing multiple barriers to thrive uh, through our programs in healthy relationships and build emotional intelligence. So we do anti-violence work primarily using art as a tool to support young people um, to express themselves and have their voices heard. And so um, this year we received um, some funding through the Pink Shirt uh, Fund um, for Respecting Diversity and Inclusion Program, which is uh, addressing in-person bullying and also explores the cyberbullying and how it can be identified for our youth. 
so that they can protect themselves against, you know, any cyberbullying and social media negative messages that may be coming their way. Um, And look at some ways that they can start those positive conversations around diversity and inclusion and looking at positive messages through social media so that they can create either postings that are positive, that support um, diversity, support inclusion, and lift each other up, as you had mentioned, which is the theme of Featured. Yeah, it certainly is. Loveorganization.ca slash BC is where you can find out more about love in particular. The the uh, acronym that is Leave Out Violence Society of BC, something certainly that we can all get behind. I love that you used art as, mm-hmm. as a vehicle for this. I also think it is fantastic that it's a program. So you got that eight-week program, but not just to have kids deal with cyberbullying when it's coming at them, but also having them look at their own messaging, because that's a big piece of this now, especially with the youngsters. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, young people have been impacted so much through social media, and especially over the last couple of years, where everything's pretty much been focused online, and there's been so much isolation that young people have been experiencing. We've been spending a lot of time taking a look at, you know, uh, mental health issues and, you know, coping skills and healthy relationships and how do we, you know, define those and how do we identify those and actually practice them in our lives. And so when we do find experiences that are unhealthy, how do we cope and have the support to cope with those those unhealthy relationships as well? We're with Lambrini Solis. And uh, Lambrini, you are the executive director at Love BC, Leave Out Violence Society of BC. If someone's listening right now and thinking this might be a program appropriate for my uh, my youngster, the youth in my life mm-hmm. who, who if, you know, feels and sees those barriers or is struggling um, in this way, how might one find themselves enrolled in your program? Yeah, so we run programs after school through um, in Vancouver, Burnaby, and in Surrey. So they can contact our website. They could also contact us through one of our social media platforms, Facebook, uh, Love British Columbia, uh, Instagram, Love underscore British Columbia, and also on Twitter at Love Wired BC. They can call the office. It's self-referral. Uh, a lot of our young people come to our school, after-school programs by drop-in. Our programs are completely free, and we really believe in barrier-free programming. So we offer hot meals, uh, snacks, all the supplies, artwork, uh, you know, cameras, anything that we're using in terms of the modality that day is provided for them, um, as well as terms of tickets, because we want to make sure young people get uh, to and uh, from home and to school safely. Yeah. Wow. That is great. Okay, so I'm going to say the organization again is loveorganization.ca slash BC if you want to go online and check it out. And uh, I think it's important for families to also hear with all of what we have been witnessing, a, a slice of society perhaps behaving badly, whether on Canadian soil or abroad, when, when speaking to youth who maybe are living in an environment that represents sort of that combative way, that bullying atmosphere, how would you guide parents to help support their children better in in finding um, a healthier home life, I guess, is the way to ask it? Yeah, I I really encourage um, parents to listen to their young people. 
uh, really take the time and listen to what they are feeling and what they are experiencing. Um, really engage with them and, and give them the space that they need so that they can define what it is that they're feeling and identify that. And that's a lot of the work that we do at Love in our program is helping them find even nonverbal ways of expressing themselves because that so often we just don't have the words to share our feelings, and they're so uh, intense <laughs> a lot of the yeah. time. Um, and I just um, encourage you know parents again to reach out. So there's a lot of different supports. They're welcome to reach out to us at Love BC. We can connect them with resources um, as well as you know young people, and we're happy to connect young people with resources from our partners and collaborative organizations that we work with, as well as the services that we provide in terms of having that one-on-one, but also that peer support and having those networks so that they have various resources and various tools so that they can continue to be successful in their lives and, you know, live the best life that they can choose to live. Yeah. Lift each other up and then you go on to lift up others. That is such a big piece of this. Lambrini, thank you so much for doing this. Again, loveorganization.ca is where you can find out more information. And uh, it's so great to learn about Leave Out Violence Society of BC and how those supports are very wraparound for young people. Uh, This has been a very enlightening conversation. I'm going to go and follow you on social media right now so I can stay connected with you. Thanks. Thanks for everything. Thank you so much, Jody. Thank you, everyone.